Thank you very much. My name is Ezekiel Oboru. I am an orthopedic surgeon at the University of Nairobi. And our topic of today is open fractures. Welcome again to our podcast today, where we'll be considering open fractures. Open fractures are a very important topic in orthopedics especially in the area that I work in, which is Nairobi, Kenya, because they constitute a large number of patients that we see and admit in the orthopedic wards. Now, there are certain principles that are important in the management of open fractures. Number one, we want an accurate diagnosis and documentation of the mechanism of injury. Number two, we want coverage of uh, the wound uh, in conjunction with uh, administering antibiotics and tetanus prophylaxis and number three we want uh, to take the patient to theater and perform the necessary debridement uh, stabilize the wound and prepare the patient for definitive uh, fixation now like all patients uh, when a patient presents with an open fracture, there are certain things that are critical. We want to ensure that we follow the ATLS protocol because the fracture may look quite gross and scary. However, there may be other more urgent injuries that the patient may present with. If this is an isolated fracture though, what you want to do is to take a history of the patient to determine uh, what is the location, uh, that the patient sustained the injury and what is the circumstance, what's the mechanism of injury. This will have a bearing towards the management. And then you want to proceed to do a physical examination of the patient. An accurate assessment of the wound is done in theater. Uh, suffice it to say that I will mention the classification of the wound uh, right now. Now, in 1976, Gustil and Anderson uh, published a classification that really has stood the test of time. In the classification, they had three types of wounds. Number one is a fracture with a wound that is less than one centimeter in length and is clean. Number two, that is type two, which is a fracture with a laceration that's more than one centimeter in length without extensive soft tissue damage flaps or avulsions and gustillo type 3 is either an open segmental fracture or an open fracture with extensive soft tissue damage or traumatic amputation however this was added in uh, 1984 where gustillo et al subsequently added um, a subclassification of type 3 type 3a is where you have severe combination or segmental fractures but adequate coverage of the bone uh, type 2 is where you have extensive soft tissue damage with associated periosteal stripping and type 3 where you have an open fracture with an arterial uh, injury now what are some of the important things that you may uh, proceed with with a patient who comes with an open fracture. I think that 
there's certain things uh, that maybe medical officers or medical students miss when they think about open fractures because they readily proceed uh, to the surgical aspects of these fractures. But I think that the important things that one can do that may prevent infection or subsequent complications that the patient may develop uh, without necessarily thinking about surgery first. When you see a patient with an open fracture, the first thing that you want to do is to cover the wound. But prior to covering the wound, uh, you need to uh, take a picture of the wound. And this is important because uh, you do not want many, um, uh, uh, well, you don't want other, other medical personnel uh, coming to check at the wound, you know, by opening the dressing. This in further increases the risk of contamination. So you want to ensure that you, you cover the wound. And this, in the era of digital photographs, this is uh, quite um, quite easy. After that, you can then uh, you can then cover the wound with uh, sterile moist gauze. Um, there is this practice that uh, I have seen or I have heard in some settings where people irrigate the wound um, in the op in the A and D department. But I think that this is really not necessary. I think as much as possible, we should aim to take the patient to theater at the appropriate time and irrigation of wound in the A and D department will not necessarily help. Uh, the next thing that you want to do is uh, to give tetanus a prophylaxis. And this can be in the form of a toxoid or immunoglobulin. I mean, there are parameters which you will give, you know, the toxoid or the immunoglobulin. In our setup though, sometimes adequate records for the patients may be sparse. And I think that it is not unreasonable uh, to give both. And then you also want to look at antibiotic treatment. Now, the antibiotic treatment of the patient will depend on the classification uh, of the wound. Uh, usually in patients with uh, Gustilo 1, uh, the antibiotic that we use is um, uh, cephalosporin. This can be even a second uh, generation uh, cephalosporin. But patients with type 2 and type 3 injuries will need uh, an addition, adequate gram-negative coverage uh, in the form of an aminoglycosides. Uh, if we suspect that the patient has got um, an aerobic infection uh, due to the mechanism of injury, for example, if it is a farmyard injury, uh, then uh, we may uh, add uh, a penicillin to cover the anaerobes. Don't forget that the patient will need uh, adequate analgesia and then they will need a splintage of the fracture to prevent further soft tissue damage uh, and taking the patient for uh, an x-ray. After this, really, uh, the next step is to take the patient uh, to the operating room. There is debate as to whether or not uh, the patient should be taken you know, within six hours or 24 hours, certainly when I was in training, the, the teaching was that the patient should go to theater within uh, six hours. And I usually advise uh, my medical students or medical officers that really you should try and take the patient to theater as soon as you can. There is one caveat to this because you could find that the patient is being taken to theater in the middle of the night where 
um, the uh, the staff or the personnel that will be dealing with the patient is relatively inexperienced and the equipment may not be there. It may therefore be advisable that you wait for another, um, you know, few hours and it's reasonable to take the patient to theater within uh, 24 hours when you have got the right equipment, the right uh, personnel and any help that uh, may be available. So when the patient is in theater, what are the things that you need to do? Practically, one of the most important things is to to debride the wound, uh, to, to, to irrigate the wound as much as possible, even prior uh, to debridement. Well, maybe irrigation is indeed part of the debridement process. Um, now, originally what was described is copious amounts of saline, you know, up to 10 liters of saline. And I think that this still holds by and large true for a number of wounds. Uh, however, we work in an area which is resource uh, limited and I would not necessarily advise that we uh, do uh, you know copious amounts um, of saline in a place which is uh, very resource limited. What I usually advise the medical students is wash this with tap water. Take as much tap water as possible and use it to irrigate as much as possible. Once you wash uh, with tap water and you've given really uh, a social skin uh, a wash of the a wash of the of the the wound and 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 the skin surrounding then during a debridement you can use uh, some uh, normal saline and this will reduce the amount of normal saline uh, that you can uh, that you will need now debridement really should be sequential and should be orderly uh, the first thing is you want to debride the skin. Um, most times, especially with inexperienced uh, doctors or surgeons, there is a great fear of uh, debriding as much skin as possible, especially within the zone of injury. However, you know, this dead skin or skin that's uh, severely injured, you know, should be debrided because eventually uh, it becomes necrotic. So that certainly has been uh, my experience uh, that sometimes we leave skin which we see is questionable and then eventually what happens is that the skin becomes necrotic and this increases uh, infection. After debriding the skin uh, one needs to debride uh, the subcutaneous tissues uh, that is necrotic, the dead muscles and also the bone. The bone is another controversial area. Sometimes uh, as a surgeon, especially an experienced surgeon, you're a medical officer, you're working in whatever hospital and you may not have as much supervision, you fear removing the bone which is dead. And, you know, there's this temptation to, to leave a bone which is even hanging by uh, a thread, you know, of soft tissue, uh, you know, um, with fears that you may not be able to to get uh, healing if you remove the bone. But any bone that's hanging by its thread or any bone that's loose is really dead. It has no uh, vascular supply and it makes no sense to leave it. I think the most important thing is to get anything that you deem suspicious that may be dead and then think about how you can get uh, bony healing uh, after that. And the certain modern methods that can enable you to get uh, 
uh, adequate bone healing even uh, with a significant uh, bone loss. The next thing that you want to do is to uh, stabilize uh, the fracture and there are, certain de there are various devices that you can use to stabilize the fracture. Initially, I think what was advocated was the use of an external fixation uh, for most of these wounds, but studies have shown that you can actually even fix these uh, fractures primarily, especially Gustilo 1 and Gustilo uh, 2 and even some Gustilo 3A because uh, external fixators are very useful in the treatment of these fractures. One has to be careful, really. External fixators should be used uh, in the minimum amount of time uh, in order to avoid uh, complications like pin track infections and non-unions. And you want to really replace the external fixator with a definite uh, um, fixation uh, method. What about the wound? What do you do with the wound? Now, uh, initially, what was uh, advocated was that all of these wounds should be left open. But I think current studies have shown that um, some wounds can be closed uh, primarily, and this will reduce uh, the time of recovery uh, of the patient that not all wounds uh, have to be delayed in closure. But, you know, one has to make a judgment. Uh, we can have uh, wounds which um, are quite extensive uh, with significant injuries or significant contamination, and these uh, do not have to be closed primarily, but you can have delayed wound closure. But I think... Uh, to say that all wounds have to be closed, all wounds have to be left open, uh, and you have secondary closure uh, or delayed primary closure of the wounds uh, is not the current practice uh, in many uh, places. Uh, significant with wound management is negative uh, pressure wound therapy, and this has significantly changed the management of wounds, especially with regards to open fractures. Uh, negative pressure wound therapy, uh, you know, prevents uh, colonization, gets rid of any of the discharge or the effluent that may come from the uh, open fracture and also encourage uh, granulation tissue. So uh, this may reduce the number of patients who may need complicated procedures uh, like flaps. Uh, suffice it to say, that I think a decision as to uh, how one will proceed with regards to wound closure is adequate. You want to get your wound closure as soon as you can. Always remember that the best dressing of any wound is the patient's skin. So you want to try as much as possible to involve the plastic surgery team. If you have a Gustilo 3B where you have periosteal stripping, the patient may require a flap and therefore it's good to involve the plastic team very early and then finally um, it's important that you have a second look uh, of the patient after uh, 48 to 72 hours just to ensure uh, that the wound uh, remains uh, clean and viable uh, like i said if you need to do a skin graft or if you need to do a flap, uh, this can be done early. Uh, please ensure that you don't um, 
you don't leave your wounds um, you don't leave your wounds for open too long and also you don't um, leave the external fixator for a very long uh, period the other adjuncts uh, that are useful in the management of open fractures for example you can have um, antibiotic impregnated uh, bone cement uh, and this may reduce uh, the rate uh, of infection so there are a number of things with open fractures that we have had a look at today obviously this is a massive massive topic but i have essentially gone through uh, the basic uh, principles uh, we want to ensure uh, that the patient gets as uh, a few complications as possible because one of the major complications of this uh, injury uh, is infection uh, thank you very much and see you next time for another edition